Welcome back to the Coach's Corner podcast. We've had like a string of wicked guests, and I know the guests we have today, we could probably go in a thousand and one directions. You have so much experience. I know starting more than 20 companies over the last 20 years, the ups, the downs. I can only imagine the wealth of knowledge and experience that we could just, we could probably make this 10 hours long. I will not put you through that. But over the next 30 minutes, I really want to talk about more so on that startup phase. And I don't know if you'd agree with me, Sean. But at least from my experience, it's like that three-year hump, it seemed like the momentum built up that it's not easier, but I feel like there's got to be something to say about momentum. So that's what I really want to talk about today. Uh, Sean Castrina. All right. How you doing? I'm good. Good. So so 20 companies over 20 years, and I'm sure I'm, I'm kind of guessing here, but maybe there was more, maybe some work, maybe some didn't. I don't know, but I'm sure yes. there was... Some right. worked, some didn't. <laughs> right. So I'm I'm sure there was there's so much information. And I, I love learning. Like I'm reading um uh principles by Ray Dalio, rereading it. And I'm just yeah. like, this guy's been around for 70 something years, and I can download pretty much probably the best of the best that he can possibly provide. Like people are trying to join 10, 20, 50 thousand dollar masterminds, and I do all the time, but I'm like, this is I I pay a million bucks for that book because I know it's worth a million dollars. This guy's been alive yeah. for 70 years, his trials, his tribulations. And I get to download it. And you've been around for 20 years, 20 companies. What is, and I hope your answer aligns with what I want to talk about, but what do you think is the most difficult period of starting a company, starting a business? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two specific. I think the first is getting traction the first six months of, of, of you, you, you birth the idea. You can get it out, you know, but does it live? So I think the first six months is getting that initial traction where customers are interested in it. And then you have, so then you get, you're excited. You have so much momentum, you know, that works, but then there's typically about two years into it where to make the real money, to take it past the survival to the thriving stage, you got to make some shrewd decisions and you might have to get rid of people that started with you and, and, you got there's typically another major decision that has to be made. So I find they're they're the two, you know, big exit ramps. I love that. So you're saying, and at least from from my experience, I remember when I started and I was like, if I can make 10K a month, because that's like what everyone says, yeah, yeah, 10K yeah. a month. And when I was an employee, I worked on the oil rigs. Um, that's what I did. About eight or nine grand a month was great for like a 21 year old. I thought that was oh, yeah. like if I could it's do that. Bad, it's not bad for right now. No. Yeah. But then, then I guess the government, like things took care of me. The company matched my contributions. So I was yeah. building wealth on the back end. And then when I started a business, I was like, okay, hey, 10K minus taxes, minus expenses, minus payroll, minus all these little fees that started popping up all over the place. We're in Canada, but we've got, we've got things yeah. that pop up. I'm like, okay, 10K is actually not a lot if I'm actually going to get through this surviving mode. Every month it was just like, can we survive? Can we survive? And it wasn't until like, 40, 50, 60 with a leveraged team that I'm like, okay, this is like, now I can build personal wealth and I can start seeing some kind of expansion. So you're saying that people start, they're excited, they build momentum, they get it going to the survival mode, but then that kind of, you can't operate on, on passion yeah. alone at some point. For, I think you said it really well, where you where the owner, the founder makes personal wealth. Because typically what you find in the first two to three years, the owner is getting enough to survive. They're yeah. so happy that it is actually working, that they actually had an idea that the marketplace wants. So that that is satisfying yeah. for about two years. But then there's a point where they're like, you know, I'm not really making any more than I did as an employee. Yet I'm working 80 hours a week. And, you know, I'm, I know I know there's something here. 
mm-hmm. you know, and so you have the traction, but you realize, okay, I'm working way too hard to make what I'm making. I've made a lot of sacrifices. How, how do we take this thing to the next, to the next level to where, you know, where you go from making 50,000 a year to half a million to having a company that's worth, you know, 10 million. That, yeah. That's the next level. Well, here's my question for you. This is a selfish question. Do the problems. I remember two years ago, I'm like, okay, when we make this revenue, all my problems will go away. Nope. Okay. When we have, when we make this, all my problems will go away. And like, it was never true. I was just rereading, um, um, uh, oh, that beautiful book by, um, David Dita, whatever it is with, with the masculinity, uh, anyway, the code of the man, whatever, but it's just like masculine energy always thinks that once you get there, it's better. And it just never is. And we just feminine energy is more like flow and it's the process and it's the journey guys Our masculine energy just wants to get there. Do you ever get there? Or is it always like the new problem, the new challenge? What I have found is, is that problems are different now. Um, they're more strategic in that I don't worry about whether I can pay the bills. I don't worry about like if a client, if we lost a client, it wouldn't crush us. You know, thankfully you get to a point where money does insulate you from a lot of problems. They can, they're typically something you could avoid with a check. You're not happy about it, but you, you know, it's not going to put you under. So I do think you, you get to that stage to where you, you can survival is a lot more, you know, you know you're going to survive 99% of things that are out there. But what you're trying to do then is you're trying to build this sustained wealth. Okay, we've done it. But is this company going to be around 10 years from now? Is this a company I can sell? Is this a company that I can give to the next generation, you know, maybe my kids or something like that? So I think you go through, again, I think you go through the survival phase. And then I think you go through the personal wealth phase to where you want to make that kind of income that you've always dreamed of. Then you go to that. Then there's that next level to where, okay, I want to build, you know, something that can, you know, that's going to be a durable company, a 10 to 20 year company and, or, or next generational. So I think you, you heat each time you hit a plateau, you want to hit another plateau. Problems are different. I think when you, when you, when you're doing really well, your, pro, your problems are typically strategic in that you're looking for the next opportunity. And you're trying not to run the Titanic into an iceberg. Right. Try right. not to make that critical, really bad decision, because the fact is you can still make, you know, look at Blockbuster, look at Circuit City. I mean, you can make a blunder that puts you out of business. Right. And I think that you get to a point where you're you're really very survival. You, you still it's a different type of survival. Yeah. You're, you're looking at the survival of all your employees. You're looking at making the right decision so that, you know, that the founders the, make good money. You know, this, if they ever sold. It could be good. So it's it's just a different set of problems. I think. Different game. You said a cool thing. I wrote it down. I, I love it, but money insulates you from a lot of problems. And I really no, like that. Does. I'm like, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's true. People yeah. don't want to admit it, but it's, it, it's true. Like I don't, I, there was a time when I worried about paying mortgages payments. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't have that problem anymore. I got yeah. other problems, but that's not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So talk about failure and hopefully you don't mind talking about this, but I, I yeah. love learning from people's mistakes. Cause I'm just like, Oh, there's a road post. I'll give you a that. great quote, right? You're going to love this quote that I always say about that. Failure is best heard through a secondhand story. And it's a hell of a lot cheaper. Love that. So that's my love philosophy it. on, on failure. I, it's, it's best heard through somebody else's life and experiences. And, yeah. and it's definitely a lot cheaper. I think it'd be a really good book. Like, I don't know if a book like that exists, but a book just full of failures and lessons from it, because um, 
you know, I, I want to accelerate my growth and accelerate my my progress. So for anyone listening, um, I think everybody's made mistakes, but if we can just maybe avoid some. So from you, 20 companies, 20 years, yeah. um, I'm sure a ton of good calls. Obviously, I think your good decisions outweighed your bad to get you here, but the bad decisions, any of that stand out that you're willing to share? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 My my thing on failure, I kind of I have like three rules on failure. Fail early. You know, just you're gonna fail, so just go do it. You know, go start something. Don't. There's no perfect time. So I always say, fail early, fail forward. Make sure you learn something out of this, and fail cheap. That's where people screw up. You don't have to mm. fail going all in. I don't go all in. I keep my bets, you know, when I go to the poker table, I put as many chips in my pocket that I want to walk away with. I, I'm not always pushing everything in. So I, I think, you know, you fail early, you fail forward, and you try to fail as cheaply as possible. But no, I've made, I, you know, I've partnered, I've made, partnering is how I've made the most amount of money and it's been my superpower in business why I've been able to start so many companies. But I've partnered with people at times that were just really bad decisions. They were not the right per you know, I I partnered with someone that I that I didn't do enough background check on. I didn't, you know, really didn't know their character and ended up, you know, I was partnered with the devil himself. Right. And then I've I've partnered with people that didn't weren't looking as long term as I was. Like this was fun, but they were always looking for the next thing. Yeah. So, you know, they're the things that I again I Nothing. I think partnering can take you further and faster in business than any single thing. Look at Microsoft, look at Uber, look at Google. You can go like Apple partnerships, partnering with the wrong person. Ooh. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like a marriage, isn't it? Like, like no matter how hard you try, it, it's yeah, not it, really it, it is a marriage. And, and so you got to, you know, you got to do some really smart things to, to insulate yourself from, you know, a bad situation. But, but the upside of a good partnership is worth the risk. But you know, right. I know, knowing what I now know that I don't take as many risks because I know now what to look for in a partner. Right. My mistakes were when I was so excited about the idea and I saw somebody who I thought could help me get it accomplished. You right. find yourself partnering with people that probably weren't, weren't the best choice. I, where did I hear that? Because it was such a huge, huge lesson for me. But like when you're looking for somebody even to help, sometimes we give away our own. We just think we can't do it. So we're looking for someone else, hoping they'll do it for us. Like we want to partner up or find help with that when we don't realize the power we bring to our table. So instead of doing it that way, uh, the advice I got, and, and maybe we'll filter it through what you think of it was like, what do you bring to the table? And then find someone that can bring more to the table so you can be powerful together my, instead my of, yep. Yeah, my philosophy is this, and I'm actually working on a book. It's 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 in the very last stages of it. It'll be done in the next two months. It's called One Plus One Equals Done. My philosophy is this: is that I, I know what I bring to the table, and I'm extremely confident in that. But I equally know I'm always missing something, and that's okay. In other words, and most people are, and this is why I've been able to make millions of dollars, you know, part time with no expertise and no capital. Because I've been able to partner, there's typically something in the equation that you're missing. Early on, it was capital. My first business, right. I needed capital. Uh, then when that business started taking off, I didn't have any expertise. I, I, was, I, I had a good idea and it ended up working great, worked too great. I needed to actually have somebody in there that knew what the heck they were doing. So then I needed to partner with somebody who had expertise. Now at my time, and I don't need... I don't need too much expertise and I don't need anybody's money. I need other people's time. Right. So now I partner with people with time, typically and experience. Um, but as life goes on, I mean, there's always a major gap in every business, every venture I've been involved in. There's always something 
that I lacked. If I want, again, I have big goals. I mean, I could have, you know, done it by myself. I've could, I could have did okay. And, and a lot of people would be happy with okay. I'm not wired for that. My philosophy is this. My quote that I share all the time is, I'd rather have 50% of a lot than 100% of a little. That's beautiful. So, yeah. So I, I like, I really love partnering. I love that one plus one equals done. It's kind of my mantra. That's so beautiful. So you were able to realize your weaknesses and find the gap to fill that. That's... um. I guess that you said you you would equate your success to that superpower. Is that something you've always done really well is find other people who can help you and then that freed you up with more time so you could do a whole bunch of cool stuff. That's why I've been able to do so many companies because, yeah, that's the one, you know, I've got, you know, 97 things I stink at. But what I'm really good at is identifying talent and I see it typically in a person before they even see it in themselves. Yeah. So I I see talent. I, I, I feel like I know how to nurture it. And I right. know how to, you know, make them better than they were when they first came in the door. Um, and then I retain it because, you know, I'm, I'm a, not a bad guy to work with. We make, right. you know, people that partner with me make money. Right. So, so that, I think that's the one thing that I've always been, you know, I was an athlete. So I think that you typically have worked within a team. You understand the value of a team. I definitely understand the value of a team. So that comes, you know, pretty natural to pat somebody else on the back and say, Hey, listen, I need your help. Right. I love that. I love that. So, so I already know what people are thinking like, Hey, Sean Castrina, you're great. You made millions of dollars. You got 20 companies. You're you've, you've got the capital, the, ex, the expertise, you're looking for time. Um, first company you just started 20 years ago. I'm not sure how old you are, but that was 20 years ago. So, so we don't, we don't, we don't got to talk about the age thing, but that's 20 years ago. So you started something 20 years ago. What was that? Yeah. It was great. And it's just an example of everything I think about business of why people don't start a business. This is going to break every myth. The big reasons why people don't start a business is this. Number one is they feel like they've got to quit their job to do it. Number two is they feel like they need a lot of capital. Number three is they feel like they need to have like expertise. Number four is they feel like they need to have some type of business education, you know, and then number five is they feel like timing's got to be perfect. Like it's always got, you know, there's always the right time. Right. I didn't have any of that. I just got let go from my dream job. I was in graduate school, just was married, new child, new house, got let go of my dream job. So you got to pay the bills. So I took a job selling insurance because if you're, you know, if you're good looking as me and you can talk, you can sell insurance for crying out loud. So um, with that being said, went to sell insurance and I noticed on our sales meetings on Mondays and being in, in insurance sales was the first time I really was around wealthy people. Like it was the next tier. Like it's the closest thing, the legal crack selling insurance. And and it was first time it was like Mercedes, 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 Jaguar, Jaguar, Jaguar. And I'd be sitting in these meetings and I'm like, you know, we're getting ready to go out on sales calls. And this is before you had a car wash every three blocks. What if somebody could come to this parking lot and like clean our cars while we're here? Mm. Like I know that I was 25 years ago. And I know that doesn't sound like that's like the boringest, least sexy idea. But I'm sitting there looking out this window, looking at all these cars. So I start a company. And this is when I knew I had the chops for branding and the why I could do it. Like immediately, name of the company, Waxmaster Mobile Detailing. When you hear the name, you know exactly what it is we do. Some people try to get so cute with their names, they hang themselves. Waxmaster Mobile Detailing. America's Choice in Mobile Detailing was the tagline. Phone number was 1-888-933-3824. I still remember because it was (laughs) 1-888-WE-DETAIL. I had them clean my two cars. I have a couple of really nice cars. And I had them actually clean some of my cars in the last month. 
So 25 years later, it still exists. Hmm. It was a durable business idea, but this is the more important thing. I sold insurance that year, started this detailing company in under like 30 days, went under $2,000, split the profit 50-50. I made the phone ring and had an answering service that basically if you called, they would schedule to get it done. Was it an SUV or a car? You know, two different pricing, inside, outside, you know, very simple. Yeah. And uh, I made 35000 passively, hmm. not doing anything. I've never cleaned a car to this day. Um, and I knew then mm. that I, I, I had, that was my aha moment. I was like, okay, wait, I don't like car washing. You don't have to like the business that yeah. passion, passion is an entrepreneur's mistress, find profit and it'll pay for every passion you have. Yeah. Love that. So I love that. I, yeah. It, it's just true. Like, I, I think of like, we, you know, oh golly, the, um, geez, what's his name? Oh my gosh. The sailor, the British guy. Oh my gosh. Everybody, the beard, the long hair. Oh, Virgin airlines. Come Richard on. Richard Branson. Right. Yeah. Right, I'm right. total blank whenever you need it. Richard Branson. He loves sailing, but he doesn't have a sailing business. Last I checked when I, and I kind of looked that up. Right. So it, you know, wealth has paid for his passion, philanthropy yeah. and sailing and all that. And I, to me, I realized it like a year into that business, I was making 35, I made $35,000. I'm like 25 years old. I, so that it made me addicted to service companies because they right. have very low entry level. And if you can make the phone ring, create a need, you got a business, right? All you have to do is have enough margin between what they pay you and what you, when you do a 50, 50 split, you have a natural margin. So you can't even screw it up. So it was perfect for me. Well, that, that, Formulas made me millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't screw with that formula. So I, I like that, service companies. I like businesses where there's a demand for it. So I don't want I'm not looking for I'm not looking for blue ocean. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking for there's three or four other companies. How can I be better? How can I be different? How can I outmarket them? That and and I so I jump into some shark infested water, but I bring the biggest shark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I think that'll really resonate. Two things are going to happen to anyone listening. And to me, the first thing that comes up is uh, service margins. Everyone's going to love that. Um, everyone listening is in a service business, um, coaching, consulting, anything of that sort. And I remember when I started discovering, I'm like, ooh, these are huge margins. Then my problem, and I think a lot of people listening, something that Caleb O'Dowd really hammered home for me and, and a few other mentors, but it was like, I love what I do. A lot of coaches get into the business because they truly want to serve, but we get so our passion for what we do gets so there's so much emotion that starts happening in our business decisions and learning how to, I, I just saw it as two hats yeah. the way I was taught little uniforms that I would put yeah. on and off coach and marketer coach and salesperson, two different, two different identities. And nowadays we'll have a head coach and I can focus on the marketing yeah. and like there's separation within that. But I know you said one thing of like your passion will will feed your, or your, your profits will feed your passion. Yeah. What about well, someone who yeah. absolutely loves what they do? They wake that's up and they're great. like, this is what I'm here to do. Well, that's great. I, but let me ask you a question. Can yeah. you make money doing it? I don't think you can make I love golf. doesn't mean I buy a driving range. Totally. doesn't mean I try to hit the PGA tour. Totally. I don't think my 85, you know, my 15 handicap is going to quite do it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just cause you like something doesn't mean you're allowed to make money with it. So self-awareness. And really yeah, getting gotta, away. Yeah, it's yeah. just some self-awareness. Now, yeah. listen to me. If you can make money doing it, yeah, fantastic. I'm happy for you. That is great. A lot of times it's not typically entrepreneurial, though. Example, my daughter's a school teacher. She's oblivious to money. Yeah. She's just completely oblivious. 
loves yeah. her third grade class and she's incredible. So I, I just think we're all wired differently. Yeah. And, and so if you can make money doing your passion, that's great. Normally it's hard to make Uber money in yeah. your passion. You know, yeah. that that's the, you know, can you do that? And you got to yeah. kind of find that what, you know, what really, you know, turns your crank. So that's kind of like getting really real with, I, I build motorcycles. I am not professional at it, but yeah. I'm able to build two or three bikes a year because I have the cash to do it. And I'll build a yeah. Harley. I'm working a BMW that's now. And a it, hobby. Yeah. It's like my thing that I absolutely love, but I wouldn't even think about trying to make money with it unless I really wanted to put in five years of mastering that craft, which I don't. It's like my yeah. thing. It's a, and that's why I say, I mean, I have hobbies that I love and, and my yeah. income allows me to play great golf courses. It allows me to have incredible vacations, allows me to give generously and I can feed, I can educate people all over the world. Love that. Yeah. That turns my crank. Now, let me be clear in business. I am passionate about taking an idea and getting it out on the field. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'm, I love branding. I love Waxmaster Mobile Detail. You can tell when I started talking about that, still love the name. You know, I love, I love, you know, taking I, idea to full execution. Right. That's what I'm passionate about within the business part of it. Sounds the like you've actual, mastered the game. Right. The actual business it ex, it itself doesn't mean anything to yeah. me. I, I, I could clean, I could have a service company cleaning toilets and I'd be yeah. fine. I love it because there's always two, this is what I've started realizing. There's always two um, types of people on the show and one uh, are your philosophy and they just love the game and it doesn't matter if they're selling bananas or cleaning toilets like you said less. they love the game and then others will always say the same thing if you don't love it you're not passionate about it you're not obsessed with it you don't think about it day and night don't do it but i can understand how the passion and the love for the game will i'm help. consumed you can i start a business every year i'm consumed by business yeah. i i every like the actual granular part of business i'm consumed yeah. by it. the the specific you know, uh, arena necessary. Yeah. I mean, the specific business to me is because I think that can drive you. The problem with that, just real quickly and passion, it narrows down your choices of business. Right. And you can have a business that within your geographical area doesn't work. Right. Was not every business is online. I'm sorry. Like mm-hmm. they're not, not every business is online. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can start a business that geographically is, doesn't make them it's not a good fit in where you're yeah. living. So you can make a bad decision. Real, just two, 30 second story. Yeah. I started a handyman company. This goes to my thought process because I couldn't hire a handyman. I had a very successful dig, um, direct mail magazine company. It was in 23 cities, went to more homes in the Sunday Washington Post in the United States. I was making six figures, doing great. 30 years old, could not get a handyman anywhere. And I was living in a very wealthy city. Um, try to convert my dining room into a home office because it's hard to have your mojo when you've got a chandelier over your head um, and, and crown molding and all that stuff. Couldn't find a handyman. I'm in a, living in a very nice neighborhood. None of my neighbors could recommend anybody. Okay, I know there's a need there, right? Now, I, I, listen to me. I couldn't assemble a three-piece birdhouse. To this day, I have a plastic toolbox. That's it. So I started a handyman company. That handyman company has turned into, you know, it's going to be an eight-figure company here really soon. It's morphed over the years. I could care less. I don't know how to put anything together. Yeah. I started a handyman company. Now I moved it into the shopping center so that we could get great visibility because I knew everybody. Go to the grocery store. Everybody wants something fixed. So I had this, I got a good lease and I'm in a shopping center. Not where most people would put a handyman company would even think to put it in a retail spot. But I knew only one customer coming in wanting to do business would pay the rent. Um, so it made sense. To the left of me was a guy selling 
everything to do with trains. He literally dressed like a conductor. He had the hat, the overalls, everything. Next to me on the other side was a lady who liked, um, was doing scrapbooking. Love scrapbooking. Oh my gosh, scrapbooking, scrapbooking. Within six months, they were both out of business. Yeah. 21 years later, I'm making millions. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Okay. And I can't, again, I, can't, I I don't even know the difference between two screwdrivers. One like is kind of looks like that and one's flat. Yeah. So you're saying it's, it's dangerous to do the, um, the idea, like really filter your idea. If you can match it, do what you love and there's that's a successful perfect. business model, do it. But if that, you think that, yeah. yeah. Love that. You, that's all I'm saying to you is that's yeah. why I wrote the business plan book. If you can mirror the two up, like Bill Gates kind of mirrored it up. He loved yeah. program. He was fascinated by that. That is great. Yeah. I haven't been that lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause my hobbies that I like, I haven't figured out a way to make money with them. Yeah. And, and so to me, to me, I just think if that's your total qualifier. hundred love that it could, it could really make you make a bad decision. I love that. I love that. I got really, really excited. I was on your website and again, pardon me. Cause I saw two books I saw on the website. At least I saw eight yeah. unbreakable rules for success or for business startup success. Uh-huh. I know you have one that's not on the website. Yeah. Um, and then you have the greatest entrepreneur in the world, the tale of seven pillars. What's that? What's the third book again? So people yeah, can it, the, the business plan book It's called the world's greatest business plan that okay, works. Cool. What is my son was starting a business. He and his friend that I wanted to teach them how to do a basic business plan. Cause I'm like, once you get the formula, you know what a good idea and a bad idea, like what yeah. I was just sharing and you'll be able to vet ideas really quick. Yeah. And I start, so I bought the first page of books on Amazon. Well, I started with the first one, then I bought the second one, but then by the end of the month, I had all of them. One book was worse than the next. Right. So I was just like, I got to write one. And so I sat down and scribbled out 150 pages of what I do. And uh, and that was the greatest business plan that actually works. Okay, cool, cool. I'm, I'm always like the thing I'm always doing in the back of my mind when I'm talking to someone who who's just seen massive success is trying to figure out what's their thing. And so far from you, I've got in your ability to partner and really just see your weakness. And the second thing is like, you are a master at finding a need. You're like, you've mentioned That's it a hundred times yeah. today already. Like, Hey, there's a need for that. Let me do it. Yeah. Handyman, Cause, a book. Cause you don't have a business. This is a crazy statistic. Businesses only go out of business for one reason. 99.9% yeah. of the time, they don't make enough sales to stay in business. Yeah. Well, the only way you make sales is to have a need for what you're selling. So you, to me, you've, you got to start with that. That's the big frog, you know, it's yeah. to eat the, you know, you know, eat the, eat the frog first. The yeah. most important thing to do is have a demand for your, for your product or service. Once you have that, all the other problems are fairly easy. Yeah. When you don't have anybody interested in your product or service, I have found that to be the hardest you're, thing to you're solve. In trouble. Exactly. So my philosophy is let's get that out of the way first. It's probably why I fell in love with marketing so much because I realized I had something really good back in the day, but no one was buying it. But I knew it was good and I knew people needed it and other people were doing it successfully. I didn't know how to communicate it in a way that lit people up and told like, I don't care what it costs, I want it, which is probably why I fell in love with marketing because I realized that's the, it's a bit of a bridge and it sounds like you had a natural tendency towards yeah, marketing. Yeah, I, like, I love, the, love branding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're really good at it. So I, I read this book. I mean, I, had, I didn't read it. I saw this book. And one of the biggest books that was pivotal for me was Ogmandino's, um, The Greatest Salesperson in the World. The, yeah. the, the scrolls that he had in the book. And there was that third scroll that I read over and over. Love the story of the Bible being marketed. And it's just like, I was just like, this is a, it was like my Bible. Then yeah. I saw your book. Then I came across The Greatest Entrepreneur in the World, The Tale of Seven Pillars. And I was like, is this model? And then you said yes. And I got really oh, excited for it because it's probably short. It probably packs the punch. It, and you it, probably it's get very some short, 125 pages. And it's, 
I'd like to say I have a lot of original ideas. Typically, they're always uh, coming from somebody that I've yeah. a book I've read or somebody I've met, a podcast, something. It, the, 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 it, it was such a powerful book to me. So not to spill all the beans, yeah. because um, we'll make sure the link, there's no affiliate um, links for myself, just anyone listening. So there's nothing in it for me, just so you guys know. And, and I have not read it, but I will be ordering it at the end of today, just because I'm so curious to read it. Uh, the Seven Pillars, not to spill all the beans, but anything yeah. from that book we can extract and give us a little juice, a little taste yeah, of what's with it. Yeah, because it's kind of the, it, actually what I did is I took my eight unbreakable rules and I wanted to write it in a fictional tale so that people could understand it, kind of like the Patrick Lancioni idea. So the big things that I've found in, in business, and, and I, I follow them to this day, number one is, why do you want to be an entrepreneur in the first place? I mean, just, you could be an employee. My daughter's a school teacher. My wife's a nurse. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So I always like to, and I did this in the, the greatest entrepreneur in the world. I want to find out your why. Because that's got to be strong because it's got to power you through what I believe is a hard, you know, it's hard starting a business, you know, so that I want to know that. Number two is I want to know why you think your business will work. I mean, why, why, why that business? All the businesses you could start, please. You got you to bring a valid business to the marketplace. The marketplace is cruel. It is unkind. It, it will not accept a bad one. It, it will spit you out. So you, you know why that business? Next is, is that your, can you, your team very, you know, Steve Jobs says, you know, nothing great's ever done alone. So, you, you know, you gotta, how do you recruit a team? So I talk about in that book, how he recruits a team and go through some of the characters in it. And then you got to protect yourself and your business. You know, you look at like um, intellectual property, you got a patent, you got a trademark, you got a copyright, things like that. Do you have a partnership agreement? I, that cost me some money, some money. So, you know, protecting your business. And then the couple big things is, is that there is no such thing. Okay. There's no real successful company. That's a word of mouth business. Word of mouth is one way that people find you that that's fine. But I always say, you know, why does Budweiser remind us every year at the Super Bowl that they sell beer? We all know they sell beer, yeah. right? You, you got to have a marketing plan. Successful businesses market period. People go, well, oh, you know, it's a, uh, the one on Costco. Yeah, they just put it into PR. They're still marketing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're still marketing. They're just doing it through, they're using public, they're using PR to do it. Uh, but same concept. So great companies always market themselves. Uh, great business owners also know their numbers. I'm a savant when it comes to my company's numbers. I know the margins. I know what we make. I know what our costs are. When I talk to a business owner, like a new business owner, I'm like, well, how are you doing? You know, what's your margins? How, you know, whatever. Well, I'm going to meet with my accountant next month. Right. So, okay. You, when's the last time you met with them? Two months ago? Man, I get a, I get a report every single day between yeah. 4.30 and 5 o'clock on my phone, like an Excel spreadsheet. Man, I know everything that's going on because I want to see, I, I see the problems before their problems because I see negative trends. So I talk in, you know, greatest entrepreneur in the world, you, you got to kind of know your numbers. You got to be a, you know, you got to just, you got to be a savant when it comes to that. And then you got to change before you have to, you got to, you know, another, you know, you got to be able to see around corners, they say. Love so that. Love get, that. Yeah. You can't get comfortable. So they're, they're kind of the, um, the pillars in the book. 
I can I can feel the pain on the um the data. I used to fly so blind. Like if you asked me what my margin is, I'd be like, I don't know. I I think we made yeah. money last month. Like I think we did. And now it's like daily. I'll just have a quick peek. Yeah. Just because you know that I, I'm more of a marketer. I love the marketings, but like how many leads and are they drying up and where's traffic yeah. coming from? And like, cause that's going to hurt us in a few weeks if we don't fix it now. So when it comes to the marketing piece, which you said, I believe was pillar five. Yeah. Um, why do you think, cause I don't have an answer to this, but I'll sometimes drive down a street and I see all these little businesses. And I sometimes wonder like, like they've got to be, we, we saw so many businesses closed down during COVID. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I had a favorite grocery store. They made the best smoothies. They had fresh fruit and they were closed down within two weeks. And I always wonder, I somehow naturally just saw every other trainer in the city not marketing and struggling. And I'm like, let me try this Facebook ads thing very quickly. I was extremely busy because I started yeah. marketing myself and then I started a podcast and all this stuff. So why do you think business owners don't market? Because it, it blows money. my mind. Because it costs money. Biggest reason is because they it's the first thing that gets cut. And my argument, it's the first thing you need to hire. Yeah, yeah. In other words, you, if you're a small business, let me just give you a simple math. Your marketing budget should at least parallel a quality employee. Whatever you would pay for somebody to work for you, you should at least budget that for, the, for whatever's going to bring customers to you. Just think of the logic there. If you don't have customers, you don't have a business. Nobody comes to work. So you're not going to at least take the amount of money that you would spend on a super good employee and at least put that towards making the phone ring or bringing people in your front doors or you know giving you online your online leads that just makes my head explode that small mentality yeah. i mean yeah. i just bought two i just pre-purchased two super bowl ads for my company for our, our mm -hmm. regional area they are not cheap um, but i i know the math it's yeah. a small investment i'm going to pay out this and my return on investment is going to be tenfold. So I, good marketing never costs you money. Good marketing is just all it is, is, you know, it's an investment. If you track the numbers right, you do it right, you should always win. I think maybe you just right. answered it with the word investment is maybe yeah. uh, in the early days we're, we're terrified to invest because as an employee, we, we don't. Like the company yeah. invests in us sort of, but then all of a sudden you have to start thinking, I need to invest in something that maybe isn't a sure thing until you get some experience, but like you got to start making the phone ring, like you said, or have people filling out your online forms to. I just know that you're going to be, I know though I'm going back to the one way you got a business. You got a business for one reason. You don't make enough sales. Well, you don't make enough sales because you don't have enough leads. Yeah. You can yeah. chase that rabbit, but I know where it leads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, behind you, if, if anyone's listening, yeah. you got the 10 minute entrepreneur. I know you got a podcast. Where can people find you if they want to dive into your world? I'm going to put all the links for all three books below if anyone's yeah. interested. Of course, yeah. they're not affiliate links, uh, but if someone well, wants to find you- They can get them for free. They can get yeah. it, go to my cool. personal website. You'll get the eight unbreakable rules for free. So cool. you can't beat that. Um, and then, you know, listen to the 10 Minute Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm, I'm quick, you know, I, I talk fast. So I give you a lesson pretty much every day in, in the shortest amount of time possible. And uh, my interviews with, I interview typically founders of companies. They're very short interviews. The big thing we try to get out of them is, uh, knowing what you now know, what would you do different? And what's the one piece of startup advice you'd like to share with people? That's the two big yeah. things I like to grab from my guests. So it's, it's, a, it's a different format, but it works real well. And so, yeah, listen to 10 Minute Entrepreneur Podcast and go to seancastrina.com and get a free book. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and obviously, we're on the same wavelength here because I ask every single guest, uh, if you could go back 20 years, 
just one nugget, one thing you would have left for the younger version of Sean or just the um, just the world at large, a little a little nugget of something that could have helped you possibly avoid unnecessary pain? Yeah, I think arrogance, thinking, you know, mm. you don't, you know, just in your, in your walk, in your climb up, you tend to step on people. I would have been a soft, I, you know, I'm a tenacious person, but I didn't have to be a a-hole. <laughs> and I think there was times there where I, I probably could have been a better me and still accomplished everything. That's, that's beautiful. I, I guess. So just to see if, if this lands for me is I remember I think I, I, it was like a $20,000 a month or something. I thought I was Steve Jobs. I thought it was the most brilliant human being on the planet. And I was like, yeah, I got this figured out. And then in two or three months, I realized I didn't. And it was a pretty hard hit to the ego to go for a few months of no revenue after that being like, where did the Steve Jobs in me go? Um, so you're kind of talking about that wavelength of like, stay humble, yeah. keep learning and, and, and be nice to people. You know, a guy told me this one time, he goes, I, I was being really tough and and he's like you know that person is a human being <laughs> you know and i'm like you know what you're right so I, I, you know you don't have to as the business owner i find yourself you have all this power everybody works under you they're all grateful for their paycheck they got to pay their mortgage they whatever so you have you're you're basically swinging you have so much leverage and it's just so easy to be a jerk and they can't really defend themselves because they have bills to pay and all that. So they're biting their tongue and, and right. but they're working. And I just don't ever want an employee to have to bite their tongue to that. I should never be, you know, so there are times where I've learned where I've had to call somebody an hour later and apologize where I'm like, man, I was just, cause right. I was young, making a lot of money, founder of the company, but you know, you still, it doesn't give you the right to be a jerk. Then, then what about if, if I could just ask one more question, cause I'm really curious about this uh, just from my own journey, but I just find entrepreneurs think a little bit differently. They've been through a little bit more pain than, than maybe others. And, and they just constantly seek it out and keep building. And, and I think you get to this point where like, I have a very hard time hearing someone's excuse. I'll wake up 5 a.m. whether I feel like it or not. And it's like, I, I just, I'm just like, but I forget how I was 10 years ago. And sometimes I could be hard on people because they're like, well, but this happened or my cat got sick. And I, first thing I want to say is be like, just well, I have no patience for everything. You, I will Anybody who doesn't show up in the first 30 days working for me, barring a, and literally, I want to see them on the, in the hospital gurney, I would probably let go. I'm tough, right. but I think there's times sometimes when we're just, we're so short with somebody, we don't let them get yeah. a word in because we have so much leverage that our, our communication style with them is so overbearing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, my weakness where, you know, just, just give them a chance to respond, let them explain themselves. Allow them to fight back a little bit. Right. Don't be so overbearing that you just, you just demolish them. You run them, you know, because they're never going to, you know, yep. it's just hard to get credibility and respect and all that. I, I, I don't, I just, my younger version of myself was a steamroller and I, and I, if I could do it again, I think I could have achieved everything and, and, and softened it a tough, a touch. Hey, listen, I got no toleration for weak people that don't follow through on things and all that. So none of that changes. But I, yeah, there are times with, with wonderful, great people, I could have probably toned it down a touch. So crazy because I would, I just get such the opposite impression. And obviously, sometimes we bounce back to the opposite of where we were. So I'm trying to imagine you 20 years ago or 15 years ago, but you just have so much kindness and, and just so open and always smiling. So it's so cool to see, uh, you know. <laughs> it's my cool. wife said, let me give you a quick illustration. We were at a seminar, a business seminar thing, and they were going through all the personality types. And they're like, you got, a, you, know, you, got you got your deers, 
And then you have your, uh, you know, golden retrievers and you got this and then you got the lion. And they came to my wife and they go, Beth, uh, what's Sean? She goes, he's the lion that eats the lion. Yeah. <laughs> so that just gives you that, that uh, he's the lion that eats the lion. So, yeah, I, I just think that you can temper it down a yes. little bit yeah. and, and, and just, you know, you can still be tough and hard, but allow people to walk away with a little bit of dignity, give them a chance to explain themselves, you know, give them the opportunity to, to be wrong and, um, and to make mistakes. And, and yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. We'll have the links for the books, uh, the website, anything, anything else below. Uh, again, thanks, Sean. Thanks so much for no, being here. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. All right. So as always, I just want to finish off the episode with saying thank you for listening. These episodes are 100% free and they're dedicated to helping you build your coaching business because there are clients out there just waiting for you to reach them. They're waiting for you to give them a result. So do not give up on your dream and never give up on your business. Again, these episodes are 100% free. All I ask in return is that you give it a thumbs up, you give it a like, you give it a little bit of love in the comments or the reviews, and you share it with one or two coaches who you know could use help building their coaching businesses. That's it. I'm done. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.